Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel. And we are broadcasting right across the world this week from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, the center of the world's entertainment industry, and now the center of the technology industry. This is where technology meets entertainment. We have been, we're in summer, and we have been sweltering here in California and right across the country. There's fires everywhere and it's really interesting because we get um, because we go out worldwide we get um, emails and from all over the planet and uh, got one from people in Sydney who said they Sydney Australia and they said they are freezing to death it just seems funny looking out the window here it is an absolutely gorgeous day and when I finish this show I'm going to jump in my pond which is right outside the door which is the jets and everything are really relaxing. And then I'm going to go and see Queen at the Hollywood Bowl. Fantastic. So tonight's a big night. Now, to be really successful in business, you need to set audacious goals. You've got to work smart. And you've usually got to work ludicrous hours to achieve these successes at the expense, usually, of any social life. You can achieve work-life balance, just not both at the same time. So how do we set our goals? The first step is to set goals that are in line with your values. If you're an entrepreneur, your corporate goals and life goals are probably intertwined. At least your life will be a combination of exhilaration, excitement, disappointment, anguish, instead of just plain boring, monotonous and frustrating if you spend every day going to work for the man. At the conclusion of every day, you are just eight hours closer to retirement and then death. That's all you've got to look forward to, isn't it, if you're working for somebody? I'll go in at nine o'clock and five o'clock I'll be, uh, I'll have put in eight hours for four-fifths of bugger all. I'll be one day closer to to retirement and then I'm Pretty close to death, really. God. So if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to set goals that you can control, not goals that are totally dependent on outside forces or other people, most of whom are unreliable, unless every single aspect of your goal is under your control, you've got very little likelihood of ever achieving it. Thirdly, you've got to think big. If you want to be a millionaire, focus on making your first 20 million. If you fall short, you can bet that you will have well and truly made your first million. You might have made 10 or 12, even if you fall short. Essentially, if you're prepared to put in the brain power, the commitment and the dedication, nothing is impossible. Only people who are destined to failure dream small. Now, anyone can create self, self-doubt. self Anyone can follow the unmotivated, listen to the dream takers and set easily attainable goals. That's what most people do. And who the hell wants to be like most people? Now, I'll set a low bar and I'll probably end up working in a pretty low bar. <laughs> Keep your goals on the borderline of the impossible. Set your sights higher than the average believe possible. You know, I was looking at an article about conspiracy theorists the other day. You know, all these idiots that believe that there's all these bloody conspiracies going on and that nothing's above board and it's all one big con. You know, they're all – there's a helicopter going overhead. Those people are all losers, Also, don't believe that good things come to those who wait. 
those who wait will only get the crap that those who are out there pushing the envelope and really hu- and really hustling, you get what they leave behind or what they don't want. Set those really audacious goals and set equally challenging increments to establish your success path along the way. Visualise the end result and keep that image in your mind. Then visualise every step as part of that image. Then try to outperform every one of those increments. You've got to always be positive. You know, the world's full of dream takers, beginning with school teachers, lawyers, accountants, and mediocre family members who call themselves practical but are really just full of negative energy. Your dreams only have to be realistic to you. Fuck everybody else. Don't even let failure enter your mind. Look at how many people have overcome incredible adversity by believing and remaining positive. You want to be one of them. Sure, you'll have adversity and challenges, but each one that you overcome makes you closer to your goal. And no matter what your goal, whether it's an audacious one or a loser's goal, you will face adversity. But nothing you can't overcome if you think about the solution and don't give up. Now, the world's full of losers whose only claim to fame is their ability to blame others for their plight. Only surround yourself with winners. Mix with positive people who are optimistic. Dump those losers. If you've got losers around you, dump them. Get rid of them. You don't need their negative energy. They are just going to drag you down. However, when the opportunity presents itself, you must try to inspire these people to cast away their cannot attitude and accept the can-do attitude. You then need to mentor them until winning becomes second nature to them. Mental strength is really important because you either win or lose in your mind. With anything you do, you do it first with your mental strength and you can actually train and develop that mental strength. There's no satisfaction in losing emotionally, financially or in any other way. But there is immense satisfaction in a multitude of ways when you win. It's one of the reasons I'm critical of, you know, countries where in sports up until the age of 15 or something, you can't have winners because it demoralizes the people who don't win. I reckon if you don't have winners, if you have winners, that inspires everybody to be a winner. Sure, you're going to have, you know, drop kicks who come last all the time and don't try, not willing to put in the training or whatever. Well, they come last because they deserve to come last. So teach your kid to win because winning is where it's all at. Now, as you might know, I live in the Hollywood Hills and it's the most exciting part of the world. You know, like tonight, off to the Hollywood Bowl to see Queen. Yes. Have you ever thought about how exciting it would be if you were part of the Hollywood scene? You know, I'm the chairman of Countdown Motion Pictures, and we've got a wonderful movie in the works, a real Cold War action thriller. It is scary. We have an excellent cast and crew in place. However, you might know, great movies are very expensive to make and we are looking for some additional funding. So if you have funds that you'd like to invest in Hollywood, you can get to be a part of the team, get credits in the movie, attend the launch, walk the red carpet, go to the parties, join the in crowd. And if you'd like to know more, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletters? We now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers. We've been sending them out every day now for six or eight months. The um, number of subscribers keeps growing. The number of companies that send relevant um, newsletters out to all their staff continues to increase. It takes just 30 seconds to read. 
most days. Um, and it will keep you up to date with all the business news that's important. Every day we tackle a different subject. We do advances in medicine, talk about new apps, new, new technologies, subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, Ethereum. You know, we do all that. All this stuff that you really should know about. Now, these are all subjects that if you are going to survive in this global revolution, you should know. And if you want to be successful at your office, you should know. And just think, you go out to dinner with a boss and the subject comes to blockchain and you're the only one at the table who knows all about it. And then it switches to Hyperloop. Again, you're the only one at the table that knows all about it. You talk about medicine, say CRISPR, and you're the only one that knows all about it. How good do you look in the eyes of the boss? Woo! You will be a star in no time. Speaking of stars, oh, yeah, and then you just go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll, and it's free. The information is invaluable. The newsletter's free. You know, Elon Musk is the brilliant, brilliant, brilliant CEO of the remarkable Tesla electric car. Got a market capitalization of $60 billion. It's only a few years old. Bigger market capitalization than General Motors, Ford and Fiat Chrysler. And he again demonstrated a couple of weeks ago that when the tough get, when the going gets tough, the tough get going and true leaders take action. California non-profit WorkSafe, which is a worker safety advocacy group, recently reported that the injury rate at Tesla's California plant was more than 30% higher than the industry average. Musk says that the recent hiring of thousands of employees to create a third shift have made a major impact in lowering the injury rate. But still, it was too high. So Elon Musk sent an email to all employees and this gives you, I'm going to read it to you, and it gives you an indication as to why he's so motivating and inspiring. Musk said, no words can express how much I care about your safety and well-being. It breaks my heart when someone is injured building cars and are trying their best to make Tesla successful. Going forward, I've asked that every injury be reported directly to me without exception. I'm meeting with the safety team every week and I want to meet every injured person as soon as they are well so that I can understand from them exactly what we need to do to make it better. I'll then go down to the production line and perform the same tasks that they perform. And this is what all managers at Tesla should do as a matter of course. At Tesla, we lead from the front line, not from some safe and comfortable ivory tower. Managers must always put their team's safety above their own. I think that is a great email from Musk. And it's just excellent example of how a company leader is willing to do whatever it takes to affect change. And he shows that he isn't afraid to get down in the trenches. This is how you win the support and loyalty of your team. It's a principle that's also been employed with great success by Sir Richard Branson. Musk's promise to take action is powerful. To personally meet every injured employee and actually learn how to perform the task that caused that person's injury is remarkable for the CEO of any company. Musk really knows how to inspire his team. He practices what he preaches and he sets an example. He isn't afraid to delegate, but he also knows when he needs to take matters into his own hands. When there is a serious problem, he increases his involvement and works tirelessly to make things better. Now, do you show this level of commitment to your team? When you take the time to work alongside a team member to better understand their perspective, you build empathy and rapport and you motivate. Commitment increases, productivity follows, and all sorts of really good things happen. 
just look at Tesla's performance and Musk rep and Musk's reputation. It is amazing. Now today's guest, Daryl Purpose, interesting guy. He went to Las Vegas as a teenager. And he began, began a career as a professional card player, right? Teenager, professional card player, made millions. He was just a genius at counting cards. But that led him to be banned from casinos on six continents. He couldn't, couldn't go and play in a casino to save his life. He then took time to walk across the country for peace. And he fell in with mus musicians. And this culminated very improbably, in sharing the stage with the likes of Santana and Bonnie Raitt in the first stadium rock concert in the former Soviet Union. Eight years, six CDs, and a thousand plus shows later, he's headlining venues. Daryl Purpose is one hell of an interesting and unusual guy, and it's my pleasure to have him on the show after this short break on the Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. This is where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting people. And across all sorts of industries, all, all sorts of businesses. And uh, as you know, we... Normally, we're talking about technology and um, media. Today, we're talking about, well, directly and indirectly, entertainment. And uh, we try to find out why these people are successful and what makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to um, have a successful business, no matter what it is. And uh, the entertainment businesses. Absolutely no exception to that. 99% of all businesses fail today. And I think you could argue that 99% of all um, entertainers that start off end up failing one way or another. And I, I was an entertainer and trod the boards for 20-odd years and then decided to give up because it's just too hard to make a solid, regular living. So um, that's why it's important to listen to interviews like today and uh, to pick up the tips from people who have done it and been successful. Now, how many musicians can start out with a story that says, I left home as a teenager and became a professional gambler? Now, that's quite a stretch. I don't, I've never met anybody in my life who comes out of school or whatever and says, ha, huh, I want to be a professional gambler. That seems like an awfully hard way to make a dollar. But one guy has really succeeded at this, Daryl Purpose. He's, he's not only been successful as a gambler, he's been enormously successful as an entertainer. So um, let me just run through. This is an extraordinary story. I mean, it, it's a fucking Hollywood movie, this. This is great. I love it. Daryl's one of the world's best blackjack players. 
and he's in the Blackjack Hall of Fame. But being a gambler and indirectly led him to also be an internationally recognised singer and songwriter. And he's racked up tens of thousands of miles for the sake of his music. And his seventh and newest recording, Still the Birds, has just been released. Now, Darrell played with Santana and Bonnie Raitt at the first ever outdoor stadium concert in the former Soviet Union and co-founded the Second Strings Project, an organisation that has delivered over 20,000 sets of strings to musicians around the world. But here it gets interesting. Daryl's been chased around Moscow by the Russian Mafia, threatened in Seoul by the Yakuza, and walked across the United States for peace. Now, there's, there's three varying um, achievements, if you like. Um, I don't know why... I guess we'll find out shortly why um, all these sort of gang organisations are trying to get this guy, but we'll find that out. So how did it start? Well, many years ago, Darrell was arrested for laundering drug money and he was put in a halfway house for three months. In that three months, he got himself a record deal and an agent and started touring nationally. He's now a professional songwriter and musician. And he says that his brush with the criminal justice system led to his career. So he started off playing for tips, sleeping in his truck, just like every other musician, and basically getting his music out there any way he could. By 2004, and about 1,500 shows later, he'd played many of the top venues in North America and Europe and had released six CDs that all did well on folk radio. Then in 2004, this is where it gets interesting, he won a couple of million dollars playing blackjack. I <laughs> love it. And bought a house in his favourite place in the world, Nederland, Colorado, and he still lives there. You know, most musicians, um, when you think about musicians, they, um, they struggle and struggle and struggle. It's nice to have a sort of second job where you go out and pick up a couple of million bucks, wouldn't it? I might take it up. Maybe you can teach me something. Hi, Daryl. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel. Hi, Bob. Thanks for that fantastic introduction. Well, thanks for having such an unbelievable career. Um, <laughs> there's at least a book in that. There's got to be a movie. I mean, it is, it's really quite something. Well, you know, I've always uh, tried to live my life for the story, so I had something to say, something interesting to do, and something to you know, feed the muse, uh, songwriting in particular. Yeah. I feel like you have to live on the edge in order to have something to write about. Well, being chased around Moscow by the Russian mafia, I mean, that doesn't sound like a song, but it sounds like certainly an interesting piece of life. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's it's not something I picked, Yeah. but, uh, you know, I didn't choose to be followed around, chased around Moscow by the Russian mafia, but... You know, when you're gambling and when you're gambling in foreign countries where it's a little bit wild west as it was in the early 90s in Russia. Yeah. Um, um, you know, things like that, things like that just kind of happen. <laughs> okay, let's go. Let's go back to the start. Let's hear more about the um, laundering money bust. I mean, um, well, well I, yeah, I never actually laundered drug money. It was... Um, a friend of mine, I'd been a professional uh, blackjack player for about uh, oh, close to 10 years at that point. And a friend of mine um, who was part of the only bankroll that we had ever lost on asked me for a favor. I felt like I owed him a favor and I didn't have good, um, you know, boundaries with the law. So um, for him, I walked into a bank and cashed a check for a large amount of money, about a hundred thousand um, dollars, with a fake ID, uh, and uh, huh. and then I and then I did it again. <laughs> oh, you're a quick learner. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after doing it twice, I thought, you know what, uh, you know, and I wasn't even doing it. You know, one of the things that kind of saved me from getting in a lot more trouble is that I wasn't even actually being paid any money for this. I was just doing a favor for a friend. I mean, I didn't know what the money was, you know, and it, it turned out it was all a sting. So it was not actually drug money. And, you know, I never 
knew anything about the money or what it was. But um, basically, um, yeah, I got into kind of big trouble with that. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. A, was not a bright thing to do, you know. And I'm. I'm not familiar with the criminal justice system. Like I don't know what's going on with that. And I. I get arrested. Um, on the. Uh, uh, we we're going to release it, and and they arrested me on a Friday and put me in a holding tank for the weekend. And they do that. They make you think about uh, what you've done. And I was looking at 18 years. I was looking at 18 years, the federal mandatory minimum sentencing for something like that. And uh, it was pretty scary. You know, it was pretty scary. And uh, I I remember my uh, stories from the CD release party, which, of course, I was not at. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but um, they got up you know they didn't know what to say right they so they got up with the microphone and somebody announced uh well there's been a family emergency you know daryl can't be here tonight but we're going to celebrate and i remember one of my friends uh severin brown talking about how he looked around the room and all my family was there (laughs) <laughs> you know, so so like what family emergency was this, right? Yeah. And um and uh you know the story goes that um not knowing what to expect, I I ended up um uh getting sentenced to three months in a halfway house instead of the eighteen years. They kind of figured out I wasn't a big time money launderer. I was just a guy who was Pulling comfortable with a lot of money and comfortable with fake IDs because I'd use them for gambling, yeah. you know, not, not illegally. So, um, they figured that out and they changed the charge against me and I only got three months in a halfway house. And so I show up at this place, right. Yeah. Um, with, with my little suitcase and not really familiar with how this goes and what this was going to be about. It was in the real, uh, uh, kind of rundown area, East Hollywood. Right. And, and um, I go to my intake meeting where they tell me what's going to go on for the next three months. And she says, well, you know, this is a work release program. If you have a job, you can go home during the day. Right. And, of course, I never had a job in my life. Yeah. But I thought quickly and I had a copy of that CD that I had made. And right. I pulled it out and I sat it on the desk and I said, I'm a national touring singer-songwriter. I'll have to go home every day. And work on my career. Right. Now, at this point in my life, I'd only done the open mics, you know, and little few showcases around Los Angeles. I hadn't done hardly anything musically, but she said, okay. And it was that simple. And, and so those, that entire three months I left in the morning, I went to my house in Venice beach and I actually got on the computer and created retroactively created a career for myself. I found a, a, a record label. I found a booking agent. And I did my first tour when I was still incarcerated in the, in the halfway house. <laughs> you know, they let you travel to work. So that's what created a career for me in music. And I took, I took it from there. And um, 10 years later, I had a nice uh, career going and made my living playing music and yeah, it was a beautiful thing, and I've sort of I've sort of balanced the two lives uh, for a long time now. You know, I I do some gambling, I do some music, and um, sometimes it gets confusing, but <laughs> that's my life. Yeah, well, you know, lots of entertainers. I'm living, you know, I live in West Hollywood, and we know lots and lots and lots of entertainment people, and usually they've got second jobs. You know, they're parking lot attendants and their waiters and their all that sort of thing. But um, I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone who says, um, well, you know, I, I get work, but in my spare time, I just go and pick up an extra million or two at the blackjack table. I've never heard that before. Well, that sounds, that makes it sound a little easier than it is, you know. It's not quite like that, you know, but but it's, it, it is true that like in about 2004, um there was an opportunity uh, online, and uh, I, you know, I, I sit up the place I was living in Colorado Springs didn't really didn't even have internet, so I'd go to the Starbucks, and um, I hadn't gambled in about ten years, right. really. And uh, but I went to the Starbucks. I heard about this online thing, and I started poking around. Could make a little extra money. Maybe I could make a thousand. 
here, a thousand there, and I started poking around, and and it grew into something really big. And pretty soon, I had, I was at this Starbucks with with uh, three computers open, and uh, I won a million dollars in that Starbucks. <laughs> Gambling online. That'll buy you a fucking hell of a lot of coffee, right? (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, at the point I started, uh, this is a true story, at the point I started, I'd been making my living in music for quite a while, and I didn't have any extra money. And I remember, I thought, you know, I'm going to be spending all day here. And, uh, you know, I'm a nice guy. I tip pretty big. But I just thought, you know, I'm just going to try to save money. I remember not tipping in the beginning of of that. You know, I just got my coffee, went and sat at my table. And, uh, you know, it, it was tough, so um, I just didn't tip. And a million dollars later, I, I had started tipping again. <laughs> you, lift, you lift the change from the five, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right, exactly. Now, people say that you sound like James Taylor. Does that bother you? In a, in a few years, hopefully, people will say, you know, that James Taylor sounds a lot like that Dave Bell purpose, doesn't it? Well, that's funny you would say that because that's been my kind of line uh, when I hear that. Yeah. I don't really hear the similarity, but I assume it's true because everybody says it. Yeah. And um, I always say, you know, no, it doesn't bother me that he sounds so much like me. And <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what I say, right? And yeah. then um, I don't know if you've seen, but we got an Associated Press review of this new album. Yeah. And uh, Stephen Wine, um, you know, is printed in the Washington Post and ABC News. A big deal. And w- the last sentence of the review says, um, if, you know, if Purpose keeps this up, people will be saying that James Taylor sounds like Daryl Purpose. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's in the review that just happened like five days ago or something like that. Well, you can't ask for much better than that, can you? No, you really can't. <laughs> that cool is you that? Know, they, the, 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 yeah, the press has just loved this uh, CD, which is really yeah. gratifying. So it's, it's called Still the Birds, and it's just been released. Now, it's been three years since your, your last um, recording. Why is it taking you three years to get around to doing another one? Oh man, it's it's a big project, you know. Seventh, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a big project. I mean, the the more interesting story is how come it took me um, seven years in between the last one and the one before that, you know. And I had actually uh, found my way to Netherland, uh, Colorado. I had bought a house there, and I started uh, getting healthy, and I started being happy, staying at home after ten years of. Of being on the road and that's hard, and yeah, um, yeah. Really um, and I was waiting for the music to call me back, you know, <laughs> but but uh, and it finally did. You know, I, I didn't think it would take that long, but it finally did call me back. So, in your new environment, I guess it's very rural. I assume that it's very rural and and um, extremely peaceful. Not not a freeway past your front door like they do in Hollywood. Um, is that um, conducive to writing songs, or do you need the buzz and the hubbub of, of sort of city life and all that emotion and angst and whatever goes with living in the city to to give you inspiration? Yeah, well, I would say that um, all of the above works, and I think that. Um, I definitely require stimulation, but you can get that stimulation from a mountain stream or you can get that stimulation from the boardwalk on Venice Beach, sure. you know. Um, for me, uh, you know, I, I, I take, I put all that stuff together and get songs from all of it. Life is rich, you know, there's just sure. so much to draw from. So how long did it take you to, um, to write Still the Birds? Paul Zolo, my co-writer, and I wrote that in about a year's time. Right. And where did you record it? We recorded it uh, in at Wim- in Wimberley, Texas, at Blue Rock Studios, uh, produced by Billy Crockett. He produced my last record, also next time around. And uh, Bill- Billy kind of uh, influenced me to get back to music. It was meeting him uh, that made me uh, step back into it after seven years of putting my guitar down. That was like 2013, I think, that we put out that record next time around. And um, 
they've got a uh, the Crockett's have a five star artist retreat and recording studio down there. They're very serious about what they do, and and Billy makes records sound great, and and uh, he's he's responsible for how these last two records came out. Do you have a recording studio in your house? No, I don't do any of that. You know, I, I it's one of those things where. I know a lot of artists do, and I know you can do a lot, but I, there's some things I just leave to the professionals. So I can, you know, yeah. and uh, the recording part of it is is one of those things. So, you know, you, yeah. you just leave leave it to people that are really good at it. You know, and Billy gets the best uh, players, and you know, we had Roscoe Beck on bass this time, and uh, Eric Darkin on percussion, and. Uh, some of my favorite under the radar singers uh, are singing backup on the record, and and you know, and all of this is kind of out of my hands. Yeah, sure. So you're back on the road. Yeah, I'm in Venice right now, and we're gonna we're gonna do some shows out here in California, and um, uh, you know, we're gonna do a few shows here and there, and just see see what happens uh, with the record. You know, I'm not interested in driving 500 miles and you know playing for tips and sleeping in my truck anymore yeah sure so we're we're getting this great press and we're just going to see if that's going to put butts in seats and and uh there's nothing i like more than uh you know a a listening audience and connection from sharing the songs and um you know don't really know yet whether I'm going to put a lot of effort into that or, or not for this record. The, this program goes out to a large number of people and um, a lot of entrepreneurs and um, business people listen to the show. What, um, and being a musician is not much different. You know, you start from zero and you build a career. It's not much different than having a business, uh, starting a business and trying. To, what are the major challenges that you've faced? I mean, apart from being chased by the fucking mafia, what what are the main <laughs> what are the major challenges that you've faced on this journey of yours? Yeah, I guess I don't think of it in terms of. The challenges, you know, I think of it in terms of putting one foot in front of the other. Well, this is what I want to do. How can I make this happen? And, you know, people whine about the music business. Oh, it's changing. Yeah, you know, it's, well, everything's changing, you know. You know, um, you just got to take a look at what's out there and see if there's a path for you that includes you being able to do what you want to do and make the money to support yourself while you're doing it. And, you know, I, I just follow my muse and follow um, my my nose in terms of what I think would work. Yeah. And and I've been able to do pretty good in my life that, that way. So what about um, perseverance? You, you, you certainly need to believe in what you want to achieve and be able to persevere and keep at it, don't you? But at what point do you say shit, this isn't working for you, I'm going to do something different. For example, that seven-year well, break or whatever it was. What what brought that about? Sure. Um, yeah, you know, I think that you, you, you do have – I think partly that was about me wanting to be in one place and get healthy and find out who I was without the music and whether whether I mattered even without the music and, and – um, you know, so I, I was I did a lot of meditating, I did a lot of hiking, and I did a lot of biking, and um, just stayed active and healthy, and and um, it was a really uh, good time for me. I mean, for me, it's like you talk about perseverance, and that comes pretty naturally for me. So I don't know that I can explain it. You know, I you know what I mean? Like yeah, I do that so I do that so naturally. I I don't really even know how to how to how to talk about it. But, um, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting to me is, is to remove limits. Like a lot of people, they just don't think that that could happen. Like, sure. like, could you have a career? Could I start, could I write songs on my guitar and play them for people and pay their rent that way? Like when you're not a, a musician and you haven't done it, 
that's a huge leap, I would think. Yeah. For a lot of people. Yeah. And so, but somehow I, I just don't have those limits, you know. So I did that. Could can you, you go to Vegas and uh, start gambling in the casino and become one of the best blackjack players in the world and make a living at it? Could you do that? I mean, I think that would be a huge leap too. But I just never it never occurred to me that I couldn't do it. And um, you know, so you know, and now I'm one of you know seventeen or eighteen people on the Blackjack Hall of Fame. So, you know, most people, it's a, it's ama- one of the things that's amazing to me is this fear of failure, uh, uh, f- sorry, fear of success. I was a part owner of a professional football team a few years ago and um, we used to always get to the last 10 minutes of the game and we'd be in front and then all of a sudden the wheels would fall off and we'd lose. And somehow the team felt comfortable when they lost. They didn't feel comfortable when they win. And a lot of people have this fear of success. They really sabotage their own um, progress because they're afraid of what happens if they succeed. I, I don't. It's not something I can wrap my mind around. So how do you, how do you sort of get the guts or is it just it really is just a natural thing to say okay you know I'm going to sit down with a whole bunch of people I don't know and I'll play them at blackjack and see if I can win or I'm going to walk out on this stage and play my music and I have enough I have enough confidence to know that you know they're not going to throw things at me how do you how, how do you make that leap you know what I mean well I think that uh, you know what you're leaving out in that description uh, the idea of preparation and, you know, I don't just walk into a casino and play blackjack and hope I win. I've, I've, I've prepared a lot. I've practiced, practiced, practiced. I know exactly what I'm going to do in every situation. There's no guesswork involved. And, uh, you know, so preparation is, is really important. You know, the same thing with music. You know, it starts from just practicing scales and, yeah. and uh practicing finger picking and getting good at playing the guitar and taking voice lessons and trying to get better at singing and and sure and uh you know at the same time just trying to keep it real so that you can connect with people yeah one of the things that we at the bob projecto really love are people who give back to society you know we we love successful people who give back tell us about the second strings project well that was a crazy thing that came about um with my friend kevin dean you know i was being a singer songwriter uh traveling around with other singer songwriters and we would change our strings like maybe every show sometimes every two shows and then we'd throw the strings away and I always noticed that and thought, you know, these, these strings seem pretty good, you know, to be throwing them away. And then my friend Kevin Deem, who I met on the Great Peace March, um, he had a thing where he would travel to third world countries and he worked for a hospital. So he would always, he would always bring a bag of used medical gear that couldn't be reused in the United States, but could really be used in some third world countries, you know? And so he would take that there. And we just had this idea, well, why don't we do that with strings? And so basically I told people about, uh, that they, that they should send their strings to us and Kevin took them overseas and we've had other people that have taken them overseas and we've collected and dispersed, uh, quite a collection, you know, quite a, quite a large number of, of strings, you know, and I try to give back in other ways too. You know, I um, try trying to make the world a better place. I think is um, well, I don't know. It's just a natural thing for me, and it's yeah. a it's a way of um, recognizing that uh, my life has gone pretty damn well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And um, I can share that, you know, with others in so many ways. You know, we've created this uh, camp, Ned. In um, uh, every every summer, the third week of July, we have a songwriting retreat up in the Rocky Mountains, where I live in Netherland, and and um, you know we have scholarships for people, and uh, we've just had a we've had a great time with that. Uh, just had so much uh, so much fun, and people always seem to leave it with um, you know the sense that their life has been changed, and 
you know, so there's many ways I think you can can give back, and that's an important part of who I am, I think. Unfortunately, too few people have that view. Too few people are too busy accumulating and not enough time giving. Um, what's next for you? Well, we're working on this record. Um, we're working on Camp Ned for 2016. Um, I have a relationship with my uh, my daughter that uh, we are working on some some things to help her. I just toured her college in uh, Denver, and she's uh, studying hospitality. And we have some ideas for some business things that she can be in charge of, and I'm excited by that. And you know, just try to stay vital. You know, try to stay active. Uh, try to have fun, a little fun every day, and uh, do something meaningful every day. And uh, hello, pro- probably more. I'm sorry, Bob. Um, right. Something something happened on my end, but you know, probably probably more music uh, is in my future, and uh, I, I'm excited. Always excited about that. Maybe I'll investigate my co-writing uh, experience with pa- Paul Zolo some more. He's a remarkable guy, and, and we've had a remarkable time writing these songs. And then, um, uh, you know, or maybe I'll start, maybe I'll write a few on my own for the next record. I don't know. Life is good. Life is really full. I'm not, not too worried about not having anything to do, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you have a desire to be the next James Taylor? Or are you just happy going along and making your music and satisfying other people's interest in it. Yeah, I would say that I don't have any particular expectations about it, but I also have no limits. And certainly, uh, you know, I don't I don't really think about it in those terms. Well, do you want this much success or do you want 10 times that much success? Do you want 100 times that much success? Uh, you know, I just take it as it comes. But no limits, you know, if, uh, yeah, sure, since you asked, I don't think about it this way, but yeah, I'd, li- I'd love to win a Grammy. I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd love for lots and lots of people to hear my music and be moved by it, and uh, hopefully the world will be a little better place. Certainly my world would be a little, <laughs> would be a little better. Yeah. <laughs> well, you sound, like, you sound like you got it all together, and you can, you know, you can always fall back on that, um, on that blackjack. That's exactly right. That's exactly how it is. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, you've had a fantastic career, and um, it's really varied and interesting. And um, are you working on a book? Um, you know, we're thinking about writing a book. Uh, Paul Zolo uh, is also an author, and he's thinking about uh, kind of – we're thinking about writing a book together about my life. Yeah, I think – But, you know, here's the thing, Bob. I, I You know, for every hundred things that – happened to me for every one thing i remember there's like 99 things i i've forgotten yeah although if you sit down i've I've had several books and things and if you sit down and um just dictate it all out and then read it through and then dictate some more and then read it through and then dictate some more it's amazing what comes back to you and often um when you do it that way the stuff that you remember is much more exciting than it actually was so it makes a better book There you go. There you go. Or, or do you make up stuff? And uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I think sometimes when you write a book like that, you have to be able to connect one thing to the other thing, and you don't always remember the exact um, uh, conversation led led to it. So I think you can recreate it in an authentic way. So maybe maybe something like that is in our future. There was a there was a uh, script. A movie script written about my life. It was called Right Side of Zero, and I think, I think if you searched online, you could still find it. But it was uh, very close to being made. It was competing against the the movie Twenty One. There were not going to be there were not going to be two blackjack movies. So the movie Twenty One is what got made. Um, but I think you could find that online if you if you search for it. Okay, <laughs> Daryl. Thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, if you'd, My pleasure. If you'd My like pleasure, to know Bob. more about Daryl Purpose, go to Daryl Purpose, D-A-R-R-Y-L-P-U-R-P-O-S-E.com, DarylPurpose.com, and I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking. Absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Channel. And we are the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs, something we're very proud of. And this week we're broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. Last week in my daily newsletter, I wrote about how casual dining restaurants such as TGI Fridays, Ruby Tuesday, Olive Garden, Outback Steakhouse and Applebee's, etc., are facing sales slumps and restaurant closures as casual dining chains have struggled to attract customers and increased sales. These struggles can be blamed on millennials who are more attracted than Generation X or baby boomers and the silent generation to cooking at home, ordering delivery from restaurants and eating quickly in fast casual or quick serve restaurants. There are now just so many options that people are using to replace those fast food chains. I received a response from a leader which I decided to um, talk about in its entirety. So thanks, Joel. I really appreciate it. And Joel wrote, millennials don't buy diamonds. Millennials don't play golf. Millennials don't buy homes or cars. They don't buy life insurance or lottery tickets. They don't eat cereal. They don't watch cable TV. And as you pointed out, he's talking about me, as I pointed out, they are killing TGI Fridays and their ilk. Millennials' financial decisions have led to common headline that millennials are killing another industry. You see it quite a lot. Um, Such and such an industry failing because millennials have deserted it. And when millennials decide en masse against purchasing certain items, it has a measurable negative impact. Declining sales, layoffs, and in many cases, bankruptcies. However, millennials have had no say in creating the environment that has restricted their incomes and shaped their financial perspective. The baby boomers, he's blaming us now, I suspect, that um, Joel is a millennial. However, millennials have had no say in creating the environment that has restricted their income and shaped their financial perspective. The baby boomers are at fault for creating a uniquely thrifty generation focused on short-term rewards. True. During the recession, Millennials came of age and saw their parents' generation plunged into financial distress. One in every five households at the time were severely negatively impacted by that downturn. This resulted in an entire generation with permanently changed spending habits. As a result, millennials avoid paying full price for clothing, and this is also wreaking havoc on retailers. They avoid avoid investing in the stock market, having seen how investments can go wrong. If they're going to spend on dinner, it's more likely to be an independent restaurant that can provide a special experience. However, millennial scars are not purely psychological. 70% of students graduate with student debt, averaging over $30,000, and that's ignoring the massive debt of students who took out loans and didn't graduate, and they're going to earn a hell of a lot less money than those that did. And as student loan debt has skyrocketed, income, both for graduates and millennials who haven't attended college, 
has failed to substantially increase. And with these economic burdens, it's difficult for millennials to save money. 31% of young millennials aged 18 to 24 and 33% of older millennials aged 25 to 34 don't have any money at all in their savings account. Couple this with a lack of trust in financial institutions, again, thanks to the recession, and you have a generation that's more likely to spend on experiences or something they can enjoy now instead of saving up for an uncertain future. So when a headline says millennials are killing another industry, look in the mirror and you'll see who it was that created a generation that have become industry hitmen. Things are changing dramatically, there's no question. And uh, the change is getting faster and faster. I've mentioned before that I went to a presentation by um, university in, in Northern California and uh, they were saying that the um, rate of change in business has only just started and that we've only gone 1% of the um, digital revolution. And then in the next 10 years, we're going to go the other 99%, which means that in 10 years' time, things are going to be changing 2,000 times faster than they are now. So, you know, that's pretty hard to imagine because we look at things that are changing the retail industry at the moment with thousands upon thousands of stores closing every quarter with 25 to 50% of all shopping malls expected to go out of business in the next five years at the most with um, the way retail's been changed with Amazon taking out um, Whole Foods and, you know, just just going to disrupt, put in, probably put in robots like they have in their Amazon Go, just change the whole fabric of retail. And uh, it's, going to be, it's going to be difficult for a hell of a lot of people. And more and more countries are experimenting with um, minimum wage or minimum basic income. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. But we, we simply can't afford to um, continue this change without doing something dramatic. Just imagine healthcare. We In America, we're trying to pass a healthcare bill and it is, you know, it is unbelievably difficult because healthcare is so expensive and uh, the more and more people that don't work, it's going to be harder and harder and harder to make it pay. Anyway, that's another subject for another day. Do you get my 30-second daily read business newsletter. We've got uh, about 1.7 million people read it every day. So I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll for the newsletter. Most days it takes about 30 seconds to read, and every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to Hyperloop to autonomous cars to blockchain to Ethereum to all of those things. And these are all subjects you should know about. Now, remember... If you're not living on the edge, if you're not pushing the envelope, if you're not coming up with big, hairy, audacious ideas, then you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. You know, it's much better to aim for the stars and miss than it is to aim for the gutter and succeed. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know just how amazing that you can be. Now, next week's the 4th of July, so we are repeating a show. We're going to repeat a great show where we discuss whether new facial recognition is an invasion of privacy. We talk about just how technological advanced this new facial recognition is. Next week's interview is my mate Kenny Aronoff, who's played in over 60 Grammy-nominated recordings and played on over 300 million records sold. 
He began playing with John Cougar Mellencamp and has followed up with Sir Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, The Rolling Stones, Lady Gaga, Rod Stewart, John Fogarty and dozens of others. He is a great interview, very smart guy, love him to bits. So I hope you have a sensational 4th of July and I hope you can enjoy. You can join me again. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative, that really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.